imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I will do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for your tears? Or in all of you be still Will I stand in your presence Or to my knees will I fall Will I sing hallelujah Will I be able to speak it all I can only imagine Yeah I can only imagine I can only imagine Great to see everybody this morning. 
Uh, well, we got some praises to talk about today. While you're turning to page 631, the Church Bible will be on page 631, 631. Um, Angelica Rubius, Elijah's grandmother, is doing better. Bless the Lord for that. My mom is doing better as well. We saw her yesterday. She's having a birthday today. And she, we had a great time with her yesterday. She's really doing better. And so bless the Lord for that. Um, exciting news for Roger and Deborah, Michael and Dominique. We'll be having a little baby this week. She's scheduled, I think, for Thursday. That's uh, Deborah's son and daughter-in-law. We get that right. And uh, everything's fine. Everything's full term. We just thank the Lord for that and pray for continued miracles in that baby's life. So, and we'll keep the Placencia family in our prayers. We're going to travel to California this week uh, for Martin's memorial services and funeral so bless you in that we pray as you go that the lord be with you in there and that's real all right <clears throat> we're going to be in psalm 24 1 through 5 this morning the earth is the lord's and all its fullness the world and those who dwell therein for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters who may ascend into the hill of the lord or who may stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Amen to that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We stand amazed uh, of your mighty hand and those around us in our lives. And we pray, God, that uh, you never stop refining us to be more like you and Jesus. We bless you, Lord, for the day that we can come together we can celebrate your goodness, and Lord, help us to understand more of how truly omnipotent you are, and how amazing you are, and how, Lord, uh, your amazing plan for grace has existed longer than we can even understand. The Hebrew word is olam, and that is before, any time before, and before, after time, as we understand it, Lord, it's forever behind us and forever ahead of us. Lord, only you can be that big and uh, that mighty. So we thank you for that. We thank you for these answered prayers this morning that we talked about. Father, we bless those families. I pray, God, you continue. Uh, we don't know your ultimate plan for all these, but we pray for peace and rest and mercy in each situation every day um, as you fulfill your plan in their lives. We thank you for time together to sing and praise and honor you. I pray you give us humble hearts today as we come. I pray that this song we started with, Lord, would make us think, how could we even stand in your presence? <clears throat> we bless you and we thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray, God, that you would be with the Placencia family as they go on their journey, that, Lord, you would go with them and they would carry your countenance as they go. Uh, we bless you for this day. I pray your word be declared clearly and, Lord, our hearts would receive Look what you have today. In Jesus' holy and awesome name, amen.
there is a healer His love is deeper than the sea His mercy is unfailing His arms a fortress for the weak Let faith arise Let faith arise I lift my hands to believe again You are my refuge You are my strength As I pour out my heart Be still, there is a river that flows from Calvary's tree, a fountain for the thirsty, your grace that washes over me, let faith Let faith arise Let faith arise
was a witch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin Separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your side So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul For the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white Thank you, Jesus, you have saved Into glorious life. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting.
Good morning. Well, I love that song, that last song. I loved all of them, but that last song, I just can get fired up back there. Did y'all see me jumping and doing the... <laughs> if I just had pom-poms, it's what I always think. If I just had the pom-poms. <clears throat> I'm excited about our message today. Um, we have been learning so many great things in the book of Romans as Paul has opened up our understanding and God has, well, Paul has given us words. God has opened our understanding, amen, and helped us to see more clearly the things that Paul was writing to us. And I marvel because I see as we learn these things, Paul knew these things. And so I love just um, walking with him and, and our eyes being open to truths. So I want to kind of just review shortly so that as we are reminded, this is a letter. And so Paul is bringing his thought processes along. And so we have to kind of keep up with what we've been teaching to get the fullness of what he has for us. So we're going to look back starting in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Romans 
It's on page 1300, Romans 8. <clears throat> You know, if you really wanted to pick out a book in the Bible that spoke clearly to the understanding of, of sanctification, which is kind of a churchy word, to be made holy and to uh, walk in holiness, this place of sanctification, you could look at Romans 7 and 8 and find some real understanding of what sanctification looks like. And so I think that's a good place for us to kind of remember as we're walking through Romans 8 that Paul starts out in verse 1, and we remember this, we talked about this for the last couple of weeks, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we remember this word condemnation doesn't mean that you're not going to judge somebody. That's not what this condemnation here means. But rather, this condemnation, this word means the death penalty. It means punishment. There is no longer a death penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you would say, well, absolutely, Jesus conquered death. And so Paul is telling us in, in chapter 8, verse 1, that there's no, and the word is condemnation, but I just struggle with that because that's not how we see condemnation today in our society. So I would write in there, if you like to write in your Bibles, and I would put death penalty. There's no more penalty of death. That's... Jesus came to overcome the law of sin and death, where death had an authority because of sin. <clears throat> that has to be in our mind to understand the fullness of what Paul is saying here. And, and then he goes on to help us to understand what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So he kind of parenthesizes this place, if you will, he says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he's saying, if you are in, <clears throat> I do this every week, Lord, so help me again. <clears throat> I don't do this till I get right here. Lord, thank you for helping me each week. So this place of being in Christ Jesus truly means those who are not walking in the flesh, but are walking in the spirit. That's exactly the whole understanding that we have been looking at. And then I want you to look down at verse 14, and he says, For as many who are led, we talked about this last week, they're led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if you're wondering if you're a child of God, this is where he says you're going to be led by the Spirit of God if you're a son of God. And we understood this, this place of sons of God helped us to understand that it's really an adult child. It's really not the word son as we think of 
of male and females, but it's really a word that means adult child. So it can be sons or daughters. It's an understanding of an adult child who has matured enough to take on the family responsibilities. So I love that understanding because it helps us to see that if we're led by the Spirit, God is entrusting in you this place of maturity that you would be able to take on the responsibilities of the things he has for you to do as servants. As Rebecca was praying, as we come to want to be servants, this is where that understanding comes from, that you would be mature enough that he could use you in the family business. I want to look on down to verse 18 right there. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 15. We talked about this last week as well. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, of slavery, again to fear, the fear of the death penalty. So he says you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, this place of intimacy with the Father, that he's saying he's adopted us in. He has brought us in, and he has, um, you remember we talked last week about this place where the children that were not perfect were thrown out by the city dump and left to die. And that's where Satan has each and every one of us when we're born, in that place where we are left to die because of our imperfection, our unholiness. But God, in his great grace, created a plan by which we can be adopted through the blood of Jesus. And he brings us in to this place, this very intimate place with him, and we can call out to him, Abba, Father. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And you remember this word is actually, this place of children of God is actually the born ones. I love that understanding that we miss some of the things in the Greek and the Hebrews when we don't understand the fullness of these words. But he's saying those that have been born again, those have been born again, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And that brings us to where we're going to begin to teach today. In verse 17, it says, and if children, then heirs. So in other words, if born again, then heirs. Heirs. I thought about this word, heirs. Um... You know, it's the result of one who receives the allotment or the possessions of one who has died. So he's coming, Paul is writing, and it's, it's children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that an overwhelming place to even think about? Joint heirs with Christ. That when you are born again, 
you come into this oneness that we talked about last week coming to that understanding that the Holy Spirit helps us to come into oneness with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And in this place, you're joint heirs with Christ to an inheritance. But it has an if here. And if you write in your Bible... I would circle this word. In fact, there's two words I would circle. It says, if indeed. And, and this if indeed is a strong way of saying that um, if since, if because, um, if it could be so, um, if indeed this should have to happen, he's saying. If this happens, if this happens, then this would be uh, what happens. He, and that's what he's saying. If indeed, this is what would have to happen. We suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. So he's saying that if you've been born again, if you are an heir, and a joint heir with Christ if you do these things. So not only if you're born again, not only if you're walking in the Spirit, but he's saying that's all a part of this, but I want to take this one step further is what Paul is saying. I'm going to take it to one more level. Walking in the Spirit? Yes. Being born again? Yes. But the next level is if you suffer with Him. That's a place that we probably all go, hmm, I don't know if I want to sign up for suffering. As I've read this for many years, and heard this taught in lots of ways, I think there's some understanding that we lose a little bit without understanding the fullness of what Paul is saying here. When we think of sufferings, we think of sickness and disease and uh, trials and tribulations and things not going right, and we would count that as a place of suffering for him. In fact, I've even heard people who were sick to say, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm suffering with Jesus. That's why I have this sickness. And I've struggled with that and uh, tried to understand. And I love that I think God has opened it up and helped us today to understand this place of suffering. <clears throat> suffering here in this word and in this understanding that Paul is using does not mean a trial and a tribulation. Rather, if you look this word up, this word really means to feel the pain together. Sympathize. To suffer with. So if there's anything I want you to hold on to today, it's this word, suffer, in the understanding that it means to feel 
the pain together. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is to suffer is to feel the same pain as Christ. Okay? That's difficult. Because what we come to think about is his crucifixion and his suffering before he was crucified, being beaten. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about at all here. What I think Paul is talking about, and I want us to look at this, is how Jesus suffered against sin. How Jesus suffered against sin. I believe that what Paul is calling us to is an understanding here is that we are going to be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus if we suffer with him against sin. I want to lead you to some scriptures today to help us to understand that. The first one the Lord led me to is on page 848. It's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 848. I'm sorry, page 848, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And we're going to look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. If you read this understanding for grief, it really means to cause him to suffer. So let's read that again. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So it pleased God to bruise Jesus. He has put him to suffer. He has caused him to suffer. When you make his soul an offering for sin... You see, he's not talking about the temptations Jesus went through. He's not talking about the trials that Jesus went through. But he's talking about this reason that he was caused to suffer. Do you see that? Was to be an offering for sin. So it pleased God to cause Jesus to suffer as an offering for sin. Okay? So let's look at another one. Psalms uh, 98 is on page 688. Psalms 98, page 688, verse 7. 
Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not where I meant to be. This is on the next part I'm going to tell you about. Don't go there. Let's go back to where I want to be. And it's 2 Corinthians on page 1330. Page 1330. I look down too low on the page. Page 1330, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That's not where I wanted to be either. Oh, I'm sorry. It's chapter 5, verse 21. It's on page 1330. Chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was made to suffer that he might become sin for us. You see that? So it's not about trials. It's not about sickness. It's not about the difficult times you're having that I believe God is helping us to see, but rather the sin that Jesus suffered for. Now I want you to look at Luke Page 1215, Luke 22, verse 42 through 46. So Jesus is... Uh, in the garden right before he's going to be crucified and he's crying out to the Father and we remember this well. It's saying, um, let's start 41. And he was withdrawn from them, so he was away from his disciples, about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. So in agony, his suffering was this place of where he's crying out to the Father. And what he's crying out is really not about the crucifixion that he knows is about to happen, but about the sin that is going to be placed upon him. I think you'll see that more clearly even in a minute. But what is tormenting Jesus and agonizing him to the point that he's sweating drops of blood is that he knows that the cup he has to drink is to take on the sin of mankind. Look with me to Luke 
19, so a page back, a couple of pages back, it's on page 1210, Luke 19, verse 38. Again, this is shortly before they come to take Jesus to begin the trial for crucifixion. And he has sent his disciples in to the town to get, uh, to prepare for, uh, I'm sorry, to get the colt, the donkey that he's going to ride into town on. So let's start in, let's see, let's start in verse 37. It says, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works he had done, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So as he's coming into town, riding on this colt, the disciples are all cheering, and the Pharisees are rebuking him and saying that they, he, they should, the teachers should rebuke the disciples, that he should tell them to be quiet. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should be kept silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Not as he drew, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For, to, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and close in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground and they sh level with in you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation okay what jesus is weeping over as he comes into jerusalem and he's and he's uh, weeping over this city, he's lamenting, he's groaning, if you will, because it's a it's a word that is used. It's a loud groaning. It's an audible lament that Jesus is coming in, and he's saying, "If you had known, if you had known that even you." Even the Pharisees, he says, you would have been able to see this place. But now the enemy is going to have a right to come in and bring destruction and level you, the whole city. And it has a right, and Jesus knows it, because of sin. Because of their rebellion against Jesus, because of sin, because of their rebellion, destruction to the whole city is going to have a right to happen. 
Jesus is lamenting this place. He is broken over this place because he sees the destruction that sin has. Do you see that? All right. I want to take you to one other place. John, it's on page 1237, John 11. Verse 38, Lazarus has died, and Jesus has come, and he's talking to, to Mary and Martha in these places. And in uh, verse 38, well, the very familiar verse is in 35, and it says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews says, Jews said, see how he loved him. So they are seeing him weeping in 35, and they're saying, see how much he loved Lazarus? That is not what he's weeping about again. Um, and then in verse 37, and it said, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Well, of course he could. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself. This is that same word, that same understanding of where he's lamenting and just groaning out of such tormenting, agonizing place, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been there four days. So Jesus is groaning, and why is he crying? He knows that he's, he's weeping not because he, does, he can't raise him. Of course he's about to raise him from the dead, and he knows that. He's not weeping, but he's weeping because they don't understand the authority and the darkness that sin has and the destruction that it brings. So he's looking at Lazarus, seeing these people around that don't understand that the reason Lazarus is dead is because of sin. His heart is broken. Because Jesus sees the destruction that comes because sin has a right. Sin brings death, trials, sickness, disease, persecution. But the ultimate place that sin has an authority is what breaks Jesus' heart. I want to go back to Romans on page 1301. With this understanding, I want you to see that what Paul is saying. So let's read verse 17 again. <clears throat> Chapter 8, verse 17 on page 1301. He says, And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I want to submit to you that what Paul is talking about and has been talking about all along is this place that we are called to die to sin. Paul hasn't changed what he's saying right here in the middle 
of chapter 8. He's still continuing to talk about this place of joining with Christ in the suffering is to join with him that we would die to our sin. He's calling us to this higher place to even see it's it's even more than just dying to your sin, he's saying, and dying to your flesh and walking in the spirit. He says you're going to be joint heirs with Christ. If you suffer against sin, I don't know if you've ever been in that place before. I've been there, and I think some of you have been there, where you've had sin in your life that you didn't want it to be there, and you were suffering against it that your life goal was to get to a place where you didn't have to battle the darkness. And God would show you one thing, and he would bring you through that, and then he shows you something else, and you're suffering through that. And that's the suffering he's talking about, these places that again and again and again, that we're coming to be sanctified. But our heart has to be driven to a place that we are agonizing, lamenting as Jesus did over these places of sin. He did see the city of destruct, being destroyed. He saw the city. He saw the destruction in Lazarus and he saw the destruction of the weeping and crying all around. But that's not what he saw that was really agonizing him. It was the sin that brought the destruction, that brought the death, that brought the disease, that brought the hurt into the world. And I believe that Jesus has, or, or Paul has wanted us to see this place, that we would be against these places of sin, that we would agonize over these places in ourself as well as in the world around us. That we would join in the suffering of Jesus lamenting, brokenhearted over these places that sin has an authority. Read on in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's giving a little encouragement. He's saying, listen, I know you see the destruction. I know you see the sin. I know you see the brokenness. You may have loved ones that you see the authority that sin has in their life, and it is destroying, and it's bringing destruction, and it's bringing uh, disease, or it's bringing... all kinds of trials and and frustrations in their life. And Paul is saying, don't lose heart. He's saying here, don't lose heart because what you're seeing in this present day suffering are not worthy to be compared with the glory. He said, there is a day of glory coming. Don't lose heart. Lament. 
will lament your own sin, lament the authority that the sin has in the world around us, but don't lose heart. Because it doesn't compare with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Hmm. I thought that is an interesting way to say this. And uh, the glory that's going to be revealed in us, I believe what he is saying is when we get our hearts right with Jesus and we're truly in alignment with his suffering and we're so against the authority that sin has in this world that it has in our own lives that we will take such a posture of Jesus in these places of prayer that the glory of God will be revealed through us in those around us. Does that make sense? Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits, um, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected, subjected it in hope. So now all of a sudden, Paul throws this place in here about creation and he says for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God I could see it this is what creation is waiting for creation is not waiting for a time when there won't be any trials and and difficulties in life, that's not what creation is waiting for. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to see and to join up with the suffering of Jesus against sin, to be in prayer, to be lamenting over the destruction that we see around us and in us, that our hearts would be broken that creation is waiting for this, for us to be awakened because then the glory is going to be revealed through us into the world. And creation is waiting. I can hardly imagine how it will be when there's a new heaven and a new earth, when I believe with all my heart the trees will talk, the rocks will cry out, the animals, I think, will communicate with us. I don't know exactly how that'll look. I've thought about Narnia many times and how the animals are all talking to each other and the trees understand, and I go, yes, Lord, is it so? I think so. And I'll even give you a couple of scriptures. But what I want you to hear before we look at those scriptures is that creation is watching you. For you to grab hold of this place, to be joined with Christ in this heart. Agonizing, lamenting. 
that God might use you in a way that the glory might be ushered in. His glory. As what? Sons of God. Adult children. Mature enough to handle the responsibility of the family. Is this the family business? That we would suffer with Christ against sin, that we might be used to bring glory to those around, to those he would dare let us be involved with, his glory. I just want to give you a couple of places because I want you to have some scripture to back up this place of transformation of. Um, and one of the first ones, I want to go back to Genesis page 4, Genesis 3, because I want to tie all this together a little bit too. So Genesis Three on page 4 Adam and Eve have sinned and the Lord God has come and, and uh, brought a curse upon the serpent and then he has spoken to the woman and to Adam and I want to I want to start reading in verse 16. So after the place of the serpent, okay? He says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And we've talked about this. This is all spiritual understandings. This is not talking about having physical childbirth. This is talking about labor pains for to bring forth spiritual children. I taught on this, I don't know, some time back. And, uh, and then your desire shall be for your husband. That's God. That your desire shall be for him. And he would have authority to rule over you as a good king looks out over his kingdom. But then it goes on in verse 17. He says, then to Adam he says, uh, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Thorns. Sin. Thorns is an understanding, it's a, it's a representation, it's symbolic of sin. So God was saying, because of this sin, there is going to be an abundance of thorns and thistles. You remember that the thorn of crown was placed on Jesus' head before he was crucified. It was representing the fact that all the sin of this world would be placed on his head. Thistles is the wilderness and destruction, desolation. 
So you see, Paul understands these things, and he's saying these are the things that we have to grab hold of, that our heart would lament that these things are here. Okay, I don't want to take away from where we are, so I just want to give you a couple of scriptures. If you want to look them up this week, I believe it will help you understand the transformation of creation. And it's Psalms 98. Verse 7 through 9. And Isaiah 35, 1 through 2. Habakkuk is chapter 2, 9 through 11. You see, what Paul is talking about is this place of creation recognizing that through the consequences of man's sin, all creation was affected. But Paul also recognizes that joining in with the authority of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, all creation can be changed and will be changed. There'll be a new creation, a new Jerusalem. Paul is saying it's more than redemption. It's more than forgiveness. It's about being adopted into his family and walking with him in a place that you are joint heirs. Children mature enough to handle the family business. I want to read on a couple of more scriptures for you and then... Um, so in verse, let's go back and read this 18 just so we have it in our mind. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. See, creation has been waiting for this day when the sons of God would be revealed. And it's still waiting because they're not all revealed yet. For the creation was subjected to futility, to emptiness, to uh, decay, to the curse. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God knew as he subjected creation to the decay, to the frustration of, of the curse, that in this place would be the hope. But this word hope doesn't mean wishful thinking. We've talked about this word before, but rather it's a confident expectation. God knew what would happen. So he subjected all creation, knowing fully well how it would unfold and that the day would come. Listen, he continues on. Because the creation itself 
also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the slavery of corruption, of decay, of the curse into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, as it all comes to fruition, as God's children all become the conclusion of adoption, is we're going to look at that a little more in a minute as he says it, as he finalizes these born-again children, creation will all come alive. It'll be free from the place of the curse. Isn't that cool, Adam? You may be able to go out and have a talk with the trees when you're walking around and say, man, it's been a long time for us to get here, but we got here. Because the hope, the confident expectation, God knows it will happen. Now let's read on. In verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So it, it's been crying out. It's been laboring in this place. As a mother begins to see the very first birth pangs, the, the creation has been groaning and laboring in this place. But it says until now. Why is he saying until now? Because it's happening. Jesus died. The spirit was given. The birth of the children is happening. Do you see how Paul is just rejoicing? He wants us to grab hold. He said all creation is so excited. He says 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of her body. He says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee of the final, of the final, the finality of this place, of what the final production is going to look like when God redeems not only your spirit like he did with the Holy Spirit, but also your body. He's saying you have already received the first fruits of what God is doing in this great plan. And it's the Holy Spirit that's already leading you to walk in your spirit and your soul. And that's what he's talking about. Getting, dying to the flesh, that's killing the soul, the, soul, the mind. But the Spirit has been transformed by the Holy Spirit that's breathing, in, breathing into the, the soul, changing who you are. But the body is still corruptible, right? So he's saying, 
He's saying not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the final part of the adoption. You have been adopted, but the adoption papers aren't signed. The conclusion will happen when Jesus returns and the redemption of our body will happen. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? He says, you know, there wouldn't be any reason to be expecting this to happen if you've already seen a change in your body and there's no death still going to happen to your body. But that's not the case. But 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. But if we hope, that's that place of confident expectation for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with perseverance. Perseverance in what? In the family business in the place that he's calling us to suffer with Jesus against sin. I want to give you just a last couple of scriptures to, that we can close on. So turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians on page 1324. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on page 1324. Paul writes 1 Corinthians. You can hear the same excitement, the same understanding that he's bringing to the church in Corinth as he starts in... Uh, Let's start in first in 47. Man, there's so many places here. Let's start in 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust and as in the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. See, he's saying you were born in the dust like Adam was. You bore the image of man, but that's going away when the adoption is completely finished. And then you will bear the image image of the heavenly man. Now this, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit the incorru incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorrupt incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Paul is saying there is a day coming. We must persevere. The last one I'll read to you is in um, a couple of pages back, 1329. Oh, a couple forward. Second uh, Corinthians 5. Page 1229, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes again, For we know, and I love this, that's his confidence. He's saying, I know this. And you should know this too, he's saying. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So much in these few verses in Romans, so much, so rich, that I see as Paul begins and he talks to us in the very beginning and calls us into this place to join in the suffering of Christ, the suffering that Christ was in against the authority that sin has in this kingdom. As we join in this place of suffering, then I see that he says you're an inheritance. You have this inheritance. But you're called as children of God, sons and daughters, to persevere, to persevere against sin in ourselves and in prayerful servants against the sin of this world around us. But I felt so awesome when the Lord gave me a song to close with today, and uh, it's one of Roger's favorites and, and an awesome place for us to end. And I love it because God gave it to me this uh, yesterday. And it reminds us this place that Paul is talking about where he is so excited to say there is a time coming when your body's going to be redeemed and you have a new body. And you won't be fighting the things that we're fighting today. And so this song is... Um, sung by Pat, uh, Sandy Patty, and uh, it's We Shall Behold Him. So stand with me. If there's any place that our elders can join you in praying, uh, if God has spoken to your heart and you see some deep places that he's moving, our elders would love to join with you in these places. Thank you. Stand with me, please.
Shall sun. 